Hello, Shane Coleman here and welcome to the Top 5 Books podcast where we ask various well-known people for their top five books. Today's guest, I'm delighted to say, is the very successful writer, author of Only Ever Yours and Asking For It, described by The Guardian as the best young adult fiction writer alive today which is a pretty good uh, description. Uh, yeah. Louise O'Neill, you're very welcome. <laughs> That's how I introduce myself to people now. I'm like, hi, I'm the best young adult um, author today. <laughs> yeah, I'm here to deliver the milk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Listen, thanks a for coming in. We, oh, no, thank we you for appreciate having me. It. I mean, look, you're a writer. Before mm. we get to your top five books, I presume you're probably a voracious reader as well. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, and it was really difficult, actually, um, when I was asked just to pick, just to pick five, yeah. you know, of my favourite because there's been so many books through the years that I've just absolutely adored. And, you know, I studied English at um, Trinity, so I've read so many books that it's really hard just to pick, you know, five that I felt were the most meaningful for me. Is there a, a genre of book you tend to go for or is it kind of... Um, not really. And I think actually when I'm asked about advice for writers, I always just say, you know, I think you should read voraciously in a really wide genre of books because I think that it just helps you. I think when you're um, writing, you sort of subconsciously absorb what other writers are doing you know, well, or that, you know, you'll be able to pick out maybe what they're um, not doing so well. And I think that the more you read, the more critical of a reader you'll become. And that's actually essential as a writer, especially when you're editing your own Mm. work. Actually, that's interesting. As a writer, when you read a book, do you go, God, that's so clunky. Or I can't believe that sentence is is four lines long. Um, Well, I try to read authors that, you know, aren't clunky um, and then it depends then sometimes that can make me feel really jealous because I'm like I'm never going to be as good um, <laughs> as this person but even though you are the best young yeah. fiction writer alive today <laughs> thank you for remembering that well done <laughs> okay listen let's get to your uh, your list I suppose first one on the list interesting choice mm-hmm. um, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale yes. tell me why you picked this one. well an English teacher gave me a copy of The Handmaid's Tale when I was 15 and she said to me you know I really think you'll enjoy this and she was a real feminist, which I came from a very small community in West Cork, a very sort of heteronormative environment. We weren't having conversations about feminism around the kitchen table, you know. And I read that book and I remember putting it down. And, you know, I've read just constantly since I was a child. You know, I was that kid weaving through traffic, you know, because I didn't want to put my um, book down. Mm. It's actually a miracle I'm still alive. And I put that book down and it was the first time that I'd ever read something that I felt, wow, this has actually changed the way that I see the world. And it just gave me a language with which to express myself because I did feel that I was being treated differently just by virtue of being a woman. And I felt like that was unfair, but I didn't know how to express myself properly. Even at 15? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I think... the boys were what? They were playing for the local GA team. They were kind of built up or something? Yeah, I think it was more actually to do with sexuality because I was just obsessed with sex, couldn't think about anything else. And that didn't seem to be normal or acceptable for teenage girls, but that completely acceptable for teenage boys. And I could see the disparity in between how male and female sexuality was seen even at that age you know a boy was a stud if he had slept with someone but a girl was a slut Mm. and I think Margaret Atwood really just enabled I think my burgeoning feminism and it was actually after I read that book I said I am a feminist and that was the first time that I had said it. Okay. And um, we should give a brief description about what yeah. the book is about for people who maybe aren't aware. Yeah, of it. absolutely. Well, it's a kind uh, of a America, but America, a yeah. theocracy. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's been sort of the rise of the Christian right and they have, I suppose, wrestled control and have created created a society in which women really are completely um, subordinate to men and I think you know, a lot of issues of class play into it as well but they have these um, handmaids they don't have names they're not allowed to um, read their names have been actually given to them 
by whoever um, the man that they have to serve. So let's say if it's Fred, then they're called of Fred, or if it's George, then they're of George. And the role of the handmaid is to have sex with the man of the house while the wife is present in the room and then that she will hopefully get pregnant because there's been a real problem with um, women becoming sterile. So it's an absolutely fascinating look at, I think, you know, the lack of agency that uh, many women have, particularly around fertility and around their bodies. And it's really a seminal text, actually, I think. And I think that any young woman, I would encourage them to read them. And I've, I remember someone saying when... Um, when I wrote my book, first book, Only Ever Yours, that it was like The Handmaid's Tale um, meets Mean Girls. And I think that was probably one of the nicest things that anyone's ever said to me um, because I think that it was such an important book for me that I would love, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Margaret Atwood, but I suppose maybe to make that kind of book more accessible maybe to readers that wouldn't have been as voracious as I was maybe mm. at that age and just, I suppose, just a kind of an updated version, do you know? Just interesting what you were saying about the how boys and girls and their attitudes to sexuality and sex were viewed so differently. Is it still like that today? I think so, absolutely. Do I you? remember reading The Hamid's Tale and it's, it was um, written in the same year that I was born, 1985, and I was 15 when I read it and I remember thinking, wow, this book is so relevant, still so relevant. And I re- reread it for the 30th anniversary when I was 30 and I said, wow... <laughs> This book is still so relevant. Really? Yeah, I think because so. Because attitudes to sex and sexuality have changed I, so much. I, to be honest, the, what I would point to in recent time will be both the Slain Girl incident and the alleged uh, Facebook group of the UCD 200 mm. to see that actually no female sexuality is still not seen as normal as male sexuality, that it is ridiculed in a way actually that I think that um, men don't need to worry about and that women are hypersexualized, and then if they dare to explore their sexuality, they're vilified for that. Okay. Because I, I just do wonder sometimes, do have women fall into the trap of, uh, and I say this advisedly because obviously I'm a man, but have they fallen into the trap of playing the man's game? And Are young women too anxious to do whatever? Um, you know, I, d- whatever? I don't know. I mean, I've read um, people arguing that sex positive feminism is actually doing the patriarchy's uh, work for it because I suppose playing into that very hypersexual um, look or trying to emulate, you know, porn stars or, you know, thinking yeah. of sex as more like a performative you, act. You make the point better than yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think that I, I would be very loath to, I suppose, try and police young girls' sexuality and if I think it's a very nuanced conversation yeah. actually I don't think it's black or white I think sure. there's you know many sort of elements playing into that It, it does strike me it's funny because I've got a daughter and people say oh well you know you'll be different about your daughter to your sons my answer is always well I won't yeah. I mean, I'd want Well I'm them, glad I'd want them to be the same in terms of being respectful towards other people whether or yeah. not they're the boy or the girl Yeah I always find that really unsettling actually when people say oh you know the father at home with the shotgun I'm like so he's trying to control his daughter's sexuality actually that's not funny that's kind of weird yeah, but at um, the same time, egging on the, uh, his son. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. To have sex with as many women as possible. It's a bit, it's yeah, a little bit creepy. I, I, it's a strange one. All right. Listen, let's move on to your second choice. And you, you picked, a, I suppose, a classic, an Irish classic. Ah, well, yes. Uh, John McGarren, Amongst Women. My only uh, man on the list. Um, yeah, I always but, find but it really it is, funny. It is about women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, it's in the title, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, fun. Actually, when people say to me, you know, about all this like hashtag read women, I feel like all I read is female writers. But uh, yeah, I just absolutely adore this book. We studied um, amongst women for my leaving cert. And it's amazing to read a book over and over and over again. I mean, I must have read that book 20 times within one year and not to get sick of it. Just to constantly feel like I was just unwrapping more and more layers because I think sometimes his prose can seem quite spare. And that, you know, even though it's simple, it's not simplistic. And there's just so 
just so much in that book and I really empathised with so much of it and I suppose what I found most interesting was the character of Morin, the patriarch in the text and just this sense of Again, he's not a monster. Like, he does quite monstrous things and he's very controlling and he's a really dominant force. But McGahern's so clever that you can see the insecurity and you can see, I suppose... The unhappiness. Yes, and what's undercutting that. Yeah, and I mean, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, um, myself and my sister did when we were children, and I could really see so many similarities you know that my grandfather was the same age as Moran and you know the rosary was a big thing um, in my grandparents house and my grandfather was a very kind gentleman he was nothing like Moran but I think there was an inability to express himself emotionally that a lot of Irish men of that generation had and it's very sad to see actually so I think when I read that book it just felt like a revelation in a lot of ways and I think it's an astounding achievement. Yeah. What is it about McGarren that makes him so beloved and so loved by people? Because sometimes you read his books and you sort of come away thinking, it wasn't really... Somebody said, what was it about? And you're kind of going, uh, well... Uh, uh, and you're sort of struggling to yeah. say what it was about. Not a lot happens in yeah. it. But then, as you say, you read it 20 times and you see... Yeah. different layers to it or something. I, I don't think it's about the story. Yeah. I think it's about the characters and just the truth of those books. Like sometimes it's unflinching and you're cringing reading it. But for me, actually as an author and as a writer, the biggest compliment that I can ever give to a book is that I felt it was really honest. Like I felt like when I read it that I recognised the characters or, you know, you nearly feel like asking, how do you know my neighbour, how do you know my best friend? Because you've just basically created that character that is their twin. But there's just such an emotional authenticity to Amongst Women that it just renders it a book that I would find nearly impossible to get sick of. Mm. The fact that it's a book set in Ireland and you can identify with mm. the main characters, that obviously increases the Yeah, no, it, I d- yeah, it does. And actually what I find really interesting, one aspect of the book is the way in which the daughters... They struggle at home and they find it very sort of stifling within, you know, um, Great Meadows, which is their home place. And then when they leave to go to London or Dublin, there's a constant sense of yearning for home because when they're at home, they know who they are. They have a sense of identity. And actually, that really was what it was like for me when I went to Dublin, first of all, anyway, because I was so eager to leave Clonakilty because I was, you know, felt suffocated actually there. And then when I got here and it was this anonymity and no one, in one way that was nice, no one knew who I was, but then no one cares no one either. Cared, yeah. And it was difficult. I was like, well, who am I if I'm not Holly O'Neill's daughter or, you know, the butcher's daughter? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Who am yeah. I if I'm not Louise O'Neill from Clonakilty? And I think John McGarren just, I suppose, really encapsulates that. Okay. Your third choice, Jeanette Winters and Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this book. Yeah, um, well, in my first year at Trinity, I did a module called Gender and Sexuality Studies. And actually, <laughs> a huge proportion of my favourite novels are from that course. It just, again, you know, I was 18, I was in Dublin for the first time and I was so green. I mean, I got off the bus at Stevens Green the first day that I arrived here and it took me two hours to find Trinity. And I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I can honestly, I walked around the wall, I was afraid to go through the front gate. I yeah. thought somebody was going to shout at me if I went I, on my first day. So I can, I can relate to that. Yeah, um, and I suppose these books were just... I mean, just opening up a whole new world to me. And, you know, the way... And I actually was just in Manchester um, a couple of weeks ago and Jeanette interviewed me, which was this incredibly bizarre moment where I was just like, how the hell is Jeanette Winterson interviewing me? But yeah, so this book, it's semi-autobiographical. It's about a young girl who's adopted by these 
incredibly religious missionaries and indoctrinated into that church. And then when she uh, hits adolescence, um, she realises that she's gay, which obviously happened to Jeanette as well. And then um, her mother and uh, members of the church try and exercise her. And what is it about the book? It sounds like it's quite heavyweight material. This isn't, yes. a, this isn't a light, easy read. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to my um, old English teacher and she was saying that they're studying Jeanette in school. And she said there's just something the girls just really respond to it, and which I found was really interesting because I thought today that that sort of religious extremism or the stranglehold maybe that the church has had on Irish community, um, on Irish society, sorry, would have nearly completely disintegrated. But she said that they can actually empathise a lot with, as I said, that sort of stranglehold that the church has. And maybe that was what I empathised with as well. I, I don't know. It just I remember reading it and... This introduction, I suppose, to the idea of sexuality and gender and the fluidity and that I suppose everyone was on a continuum. Again, you know, I didn't know any gay people growing up. Um, I, you know, didn't really know, did that exist? You know, mm. you know, so I suppose the book was so fascinating to me because it gave me such an in-depth insight into that. And also, I suppose, growing up in a church that had told me there was something wrong with homosexuality and seeing that being played out in such an extreme way. You know, her mother locked her in her room for like days on end without food or water and she started to hallucinate. So it was really interesting, I suppose, to me to see that how this disparaging of homosexuality taken to the nth degree could be so incredibly dangerous. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was a real lesson for me as well. Okay. There's a definite theme in the three books we've had, a recurring theme in the three <laughs> books we've had. We've got feminism, we have mm. sexuality and we have religion, I suppose. Yes. Playing all three. Playing, yes, playing that's a actually part. a very good point. And I suppose those are just topics that I'm absolutely fascinated by. Yeah. And they reoccur. They occur and they reoccur in both of my novels. And I suppose they're just things and issues that I've been grappling with since I was a small child and as a teenager. So I'm, I suppose I just do. I return to them um, and I'm really interested in books that deal with those kind of topics, particularly, I suppose, from a female point of view. Okay. But I am very self-absorbed, don't I? It's all about me. <laughs> well, no, I, I wasn't suggesting you're yeah. self-absorbed. I'm just saying that those teams... Uh, those te- well, I think we all reach for things that we identify with in mm. books. I mean, that's, uh, I think yeah. that's pretty logical. Okay, our guest is Louise O'Neill. We've had uh, three of our top five. Let's get to her, her last two. Interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose very different from the yes. other five you picked. You've gone for one of the Ireland's I probably best-selling authors, yeah. Marion Keyes, and Rachel's Holiday. Yes. Well, first of all, I will have to put a disclaimer that I absolutely adore Marion. She's probably one of the kindest women that you will ever meet in your entire life. But I've been a fan of hers for years. Like I've read every single one of her books and I feel like her stalker sometimes. But um, I just think actually she's brilliant at what she does. And um, when you read, because you know, she's always... I think lumped into this class of, you know, um, which is so disparaging anyway, but, you know, chiclet and commercial women's fiction. And actually, when you look at what she's writing compared to maybe with some of the other authors that she's been classified with, there's a huge difference in the quality of the writing. And I do think in the same way that I would think Maeve Binchy and Cullum Tabine are probably quite, um, you know, they're writing with similar themes. But sometimes as a woman writing about topics that directly correlate or affect women's lives, it's sort of seen as niche, I think, and sort yeah, of pushed I, I aside. Agree more. I, I didn't read Brooklyn, but when I watched the film, I, I thought it could have been a Maeve Binchy yeah. story. Yeah, and I think there's some people who will be up in arms about that, but I think Maeve Binchy is an absolutely incredible writer yeah. and a real, just her eye, I think, for human behaviour was just impeccable. Yeah. And to me, Marion Keyes is 
I think she is the contemporary of a David Nichols or a Nick Hornby, but because she's a woman, she's sort of put into this category of chiclet. She's brilliant. She's so funny. She's so incisive. And I mean, her books are so dark. Like you're you're reading them and, you know, it's a book about domestic violence or rape or addiction or alcoholism or depression. And you're in like fits of laughter. Like there's a real skill to that. Yeah. And this book in particular, um, Rachel's Holiday, it's set in a rehab centre. It's about um, Rachel, who is a drug addict and her parents um, kind of force her into rehab. And I actually read it when I, because I suffered with anorexia and I was hospitalised in St. John and God's when I was 21. And I actually read that book when I was there. And it was a very strange moment because I remember reading it and I was like, God, this girl is such an addict. And then she did something that was very similar to my own behaviour. And it was the first time that I had ever realised that actually I was an addict as well. And it was the first time that I'd ever put that into context. And so that, it was this really... Was, was that a huge jolt or was... It was a huge jolt. Yeah. Huge. Because I was like, why am I even in here? This is so boring, you know, kind of... And then it really was nearly like a St. Paul and the road to Damascus sort yeah. of mo- moment of conversion. And God, that was a very powerful moment, actually. And... Good, powerful. Did you kind of identify with this? Um No, I identified. I mean, it was terrifying. I didn't want to identify as being right. an addict, but I needed to, I think. Right, um, okay. And so I would, I would always say that I was very grateful to Marion. And that book, actually, there's very few books that I would say, I wish I had written that. And it's funny, that is the one book that I was like, I really wish I had written that because I do identify with it actually a lot, maybe just through my own experiences. But she got there first. Damn you, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so tell us, she's a kind of a young Irish woman in Manhattan, yes. uh, uh, you know, in the fast lane, kind of living life hard, working yeah. hard, living hard, playing uh, oh, hard. Yeah, and she, well, she thinks, you know, she's doing really well, but she's just a complete mess. Um, you know, her friendships are, and her relationship with this man Luke are just sort of in disarray because of the fact that she's taking more and more and more drugs. And then she takes an accidental um, overdose and her sister um, and her brother-in-law come over to Manhattan and bring her back. And she goes, she only goes into rehab because she thinks it's going to be full of um, famous people. <laughs> she thinks it's going to be full of pop stars and there'll be jacuzzis and she'll come out really like slim and gorgeous. And it's not quite like that. But um, it's a really accurate representation, actually, of what rehab is like because you know, you're in with these people, you do get cabin fever. Like I was there for three months and, you know, some and people are coming and going and some people are lovely and other people you want to strangle and it is because you're so irritable and you're, you know, you're trying to, you're dealing with all these emotions and I just thought she dealt with it in such a clever but really hilarious way. So yeah, I just, I love that book. Interesting because I suppose I probably would have fallen into that trap of describing mm-hmm. Marion Keys as well, uh, Chicklet and, yeah. and sort of saying, you know, it's not really for me. I like, I'm, she's brilliant at what she does. And yeah. I, I respect her and admire her for that. And I could never write those books or a novel at all. But there's so much more. Yeah, to there's it so that. much depth to her books. And as I said, she's dealing with such incredibly important issues. And I think it was Zadie Smith wrote this essay actually about the importance of Marion Keys because she said that she is, she's such a feminist. She's writing about topics that affect women's lives and she has such a massive audience. Like you cannot discount the fact that she's sold, I think it's 23 million copies of yeah. her novels and that women all over the world are actually being introduced to some of these ideas, you know, of feminism yeah. or, you know, dealing with, as I said, issues like domestic violence or rape or addiction. 
and that she's doing it in such a way that they're enjoying reading the book as well. Like there's a real, I think it's a huge skill. She deserves every bit of her success. Did you get a chance to say to her, you know, the circumstances in which you read this book and how I, and I the did. She's just been? she's actually been a huge supporter actually and champion of my own work and I would consider her a friend now, which is a very strange experience for someone that I've actually loved for years and I feel very grateful for that support because you know when she she blurbed and both Marion and Jeanette blurbed my first book which was just I mean as I said like they're in my top five books so to have both of those authors give me that kind of I suppose credibility was an amazing moment for me I'm sure it was I I want to ask you actually because I was going to ask you at the end but I'll ask you now the reaction to your your latest book and I mean it's a pretty harrowing mm. storyline you know I, your reaction to people locally are people kind of cool with that or do some people kind of get antsy and say well hang on are you pointing the finger at anyone no or? absolutely not um, and I was nervous I think and I think I wasn't the only person who was nervous I think there was a few people who when they heard that I was you know writing about a local football team who gang raped a young girl in a small town in West Cork were definitely a little yeah. bit nervous but I actually I have to say at home you know, in Clan Guilty, people have been so incredibly just generous. And, you know, I had a launch for my first book and like nearly a thousand people turned up. Like it was insane. They've just been so delighted for my success, really happy for me and actually full of praise for the book, which could have gone either way. Mm. But I think it really goes to show, I think, their generosity of spirit, that they knew that it was a fictionalised book. It could have been any small town in Ireland, in England, in in France, in the States, you know, rape culture is a global issue. You know, it's not just in Clonakilty, do you yeah. know? That would be a ridiculous assumption to make. And I'm kind of curious, that sort of jock culture mm-hmm. that is there in the book. I mean, look, I would have been on football teams as a kid. Now, I'm, I'm a good bit older than you. That didn't exist when I was a kid. Is it prevalent, do you think, today? I do think so. I think that what I've described is a very accurate representation of jock culture but again I mean I was very inspired by you know American stories with that as well it's, yeah. it's not just in Ireland and I suppose no, I, you know and I, I suppose I grew up with that you know I mean my dad isn't like that at all he's one of my favourite people in the entire world but he was a bit of a football star you know played for Clannacilty and played for Cork and he you know, was over and back to New York and so I suppose I grew up not maybe so much with the jock culture but growing up watching local football players being treated as heroes as gods not even heroes as absolutely gods you know and I I just always thought it was so fascinating because as a woman you know like I say as um, women and men and you know all the football players or all the rugby players everyone fancied them and it was like because they played football or rugby whereas with girls it was never they play football or rugby we fancy them or they're really intelligent we fancy them it was always they're hot like we were very much I think judged on physical appearance rather than the way they were yeah and even though you have you do have women playing uh, young women playing football and stuff oh no which is fantastic but I don't think they're getting the same sort of reinforcement you know yeah fair point Uh, listen let's get to your final book um, The Awakening yes oh I love this book I read this again in my um, first year of college and I suppose what I found really fascinating about this book and a bit, I suppose, with Anna Karenina as well was the exploration of motherhood. Growing up in Ireland where the role of the mother is so deeply enshrined into not only our cultural landscape but also even just in our constitution, the role of that, you know, the mother was paramount, you know, the, I suppose the cliche of the Irish mammy yeah. and the childcare and the child raising and, you know, all of that was very much down to the woman And I really didn't feel actually very certain if I wanted to be a mother. And I remember reading this book and it was like it gave me permission 
that maybe it was okay. Maybe that maybe motherhood wasn't going to be, I suppose, a... Um, Did you almost see, uh, maybe I'm picking this up completely wrong, you say it was almost like being a mother would almost be a, bit, a betrayal of feminism because you were buying into that no, kind of thing? No, 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 no. I think feminism is about choice and I think that loads of women want to become mothers and, I mean, that has to happen. Like, yeah. you know, if, if that doesn't happen, like, you know, the human <laughs> yeah. race is going yeah. to become extinct. And I think loads of women have a real biological urge and loads of men have a real biological urge, um, urge to procreate. I don't have that. I'm only 31 now. Maybe it'll change, but I've never had that sort of broodiness or that hormonal urges or that real yearning um, to be a mother. And I think, actually, I thought there was maybe something wrong with me that I was, you know, my friends were like, oh, I want to have two kids and these are going to be their names. Oh my God. Um, and I just thought this book, I mean, it's written, um, it was published in 1899 and it's about this woman called Edna who's married and with two um, sons and she's just so, I think, unfulfilled and dissatisfied in this kind of sense of ennui, um, which pervades the narrative of the entire book, actually. And she gets an opportunity when her husband has to go to New York for business to embark on an affair. And it's really amazing to see, I suppose, how her sexuality blooms in that moment. But there seems to be that, you know, she can't be all things. She can't be a wife and a mother and be a sexual being that she has to choose. God, I just thought I was so fascinated by it. I was absolutely just enthralled by this story and by this woman and by this idea that maybe, maybe actually if you became a mother that you didn't have to sacrifice every other part of yourself in order to fulfil mm. those maternal duties. Yeah, so I sometimes being a parent, you obviously, I suppose you do have to mm-hmm. sacrifice parts of yourself, certainly for, I can imagine. for for periods of time. It's a, I'm sure there's lots of mothers out there questioning now, saying, yeah, 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 do you have to? I suppose you do to some degree, but you shouldn't have to Top. degree in this. No, and I, no, and I agree, and I suppose what I always found really interesting about my mother was that, like, you know, I knew that she loved me, but I also knew that she wasn't just a mother you know that she had a life sort of outside yeah. myself and my sister and that she wasn't completely consumed I'm not sure every kid would see that yeah <laughs> no I, 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 no and I think actually in a way maybe as, when I was smaller maybe I would have preferred that but I actually think as I've gotten older I think I respect that more because she was always her own person yeah. um, you know and I, I think it's something you do see as you get older. Yes, as no, you absolutely, and you and you appreciate more. Maybe as well, you know, there's that whole cliche. Um, as an artist, you know, the biggest enemy of art is the pram in the hall, and I think that's probably especially true for women. That it is a little bit harder for them to fulfil some of their artistic ambitions. And that's that's actually a fault in society. We need to change that so mm. that you know that raising children isn't just seen as the domain of women. That it's fifty fifty. Yeah. We're still quite a bit away from that, I suspect. Mm. Just lastly on this, it's quite a, uh, I'm going to use a sort of ridiculous term, but it's the term that jumps in. It's quite a racy book. It is quite a racy book. Yeah, oh God, it was very controversial. Kate Chaban had been quite successful up until that point and she was really socially shunned actually after this novel came out because of the exploration of female sexuality and where she does have affairs and where her sex life becomes uh, quite important for her it was seen as nearly a bit obscene. Yeah. Particularly, actually, particularly for a woman writing, because, I mean, you you know, you'd see that even with someone like John McGahern, who was, um, you know, denounced for pornographic material in his books. But for a woman... If it had been a woman who'd written that... Yeah, I don't know, like Edna O'Brien. But, like, for Kate Chapin in 1899, it sort of actually was the end of both her career and her um, social status. And it was only, I think, maybe, God, 
in the 70s, I think, that there was a real revival of interest, that she became known as maybe one of the first real feminist writers. And I can't actually imagine the bravery that it must have taken yeah, for her to is, write sure. the, the way she wrote, you know, at the turn of the century. Okay, just lastly on it, it was originally entitled A Solitary Soul. Mm. Is that about her solitude, her sense of solitude, loneliness? Yeah, or? I think there is with Edna. There's a real sense of she's not really connecting with anyone around her that you know that she's kind of just floating through life and I think that's why when she does have embark on these sexual affairs that they kind of ground her in a way and that it is maybe the first proper sort of connection that she's having with um, another human being and I think that's very powerful for her Okay, good stuff fantastic list of books there I'll run through them again Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale John McGarren Amongst Women Jeanette Winterson Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit Marion Keys, Rachel's Holiday and lastly there The Awakening by Kate Chopin It's been an absolute pleasure having you in uh, Thank you Louise O'Neill the author uh, I'm going to say it one last time uh, according to The Guardian the best young <laughs> fiction writer alive Go buy today. my books yeah. immediately Louise thanks to you for coming in Oh thank you so much for having me okay. Now here at Top 5 Books there's a lot more interesting guests and book recommendations in our podcast feed for you. If you're listening on iTunes, I'd appreciate if you could subscribe and if you could give us a rating if you have indeed enjoyed any of what you've heard. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Chains Top 5 Books.